Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Culture Moments Podcast. I'm your host, Larry Baker, and I am thrilled to have you join us for our second season called Brave Conversations with LCW. In these episodes, you'll hear from a panel of guests from specific communities, offering a range of perspectives on the past two years. We'll hear about their own experiences, as well as their insights on what has changed, and more importantly, what needs to change to move equity forward. As we all know, so much has shifted and changed over the past two years, and for many of us, we're still in recovery from a very difficult 24 months. So hello everyone and welcome to Brave Conversations with LCW. I am your host, Larry Baker, and I am thrilled to welcome you to this uh, live stream session. Uh, each month we will be bringing you or we will make space for some timely and extremely important uh, conversations that we hope will help educate you generate some discussion, and help you to be able to take some actionable items back to your organization and uh, in your daily lives. Uh, in case you do not know uh, or you're unfamiliar with who LCW is, we are a global diversity, uh, diversity equity, and inclusion training and consulting and translation firm that we simply partner with organizations to help them develop global mindsets, to help them develop their skills and their systems to succeed culturally in a ever-changing and diverse world. And today we are super excited to be talking about religious inclusion in the workshop. I'm sorry, in the workplace, uh, why it's important, why it matters, and how you can actually keep that meaning in your workplaces, in your programs that you design each and every year. So today I am thrilled to be joined by Rahime Ramanzani. And she is an expert, a, a DEI subject matter expert at Rahami, uh, Rahime, I'm sorry. Rahime Ramanzani Consultant. And Rahime, thank you so much for being here on today. And I'm super, super excited to have you speak on this topic from a personal level mm -hmm. and to provide us with all of your wisdom and your knowledge. Uh, I'm going to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself and talk about your uh, mm -hmm. your criteria, your, your, your competencies, and mm -hmm. all of your incredible information in a moment. But before we jump into that conversation, I just want to let you all know that after our discussion, we're going to mm. be answering some of your questions. And that's going to be an extremely important moment for you to engage with us, to engage with, our, with, with the questions that you have. So please, please, please do not uh, hesitate to ask us those questions. So I am going to go ahead and give you the opportunity, Rahime, to introduce yourself and tell everyone all about you. So, Rahime, if you will. 
Thank you, Larry, so much. And thank you all for having me. It is truly an honor and a privilege to be here and speaking with you all. Uh, I love live streams and being able to engage with folks. Uh, my name is Rahime Ramazani. I use she, her pronouns. I'm a DEI practitioner, which I just use to like blanket all the things, the consultant, the trainer, the subject matter expertise, uh, the content creator, and so on. I specifically focus on Muslim inclusion uh, and equitable access access in predominantly non-Muslim spaces and incorporating considerations of religion within existing DEI efforts. Uh, so that's a little bit of my background. I come to this work with a master's degree in intercultural communication, and I pair that with DEI work, which I love really the balance and the marriage of those two fields. I feel like they just offer so much to each other. Um, as anyone who has heard me speak knows, I am absolutely a talker. So I will stop there uh, because, you know, Larry could just like leave and I would just talk and I would have an amazing time. Like I'd have an amazing time, um, but I feel bad and I will try and control that. Uh, so Larry, no. thank you so much. Absolutely not, Rahime. You, that is the reason why I uh, am so excited to have you to be a part of this conversation, because I know that passion that you have, and this is going to benefit our audience. But Thank you. we're just going to That is such right a nice in. way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> I try to make everyone feel Thank welcome. You. Uh, we're just going to jump right into this, mm -mm. because I want to kick us off by having you respond to the question mm. of why is it important that we remember religion as we're thinking mm. about diversity, equity, and inclusion? Oh, let's get into it. So the idea being is that in DEI, we look at the diversity of di identities of folks being represented in an organization or in a space. We look at do they have inclusive and equitable access to that space if they contribute ideas, if they have feedback, especially critical feedback about how the organization can do its work better to be more inclusive of them as human beings and individuals that they are and their families and their lives and their customers and clients, right, who are similarly a part of that identity group. Part of that, as much as DEI focuses on, mostly on race, and um, gender, and then also following that kind of like second tier sexual orientation. Um, and I'm seeing neurodiversity come up a lot and disability come up a lot, all of which are very important identity groups to discuss and have attention and make sure that they are included and represented in organizations equitably. Also on top of that, so like an and, not a let's compete with each other for the one DEI spot, mm -hmm. right? And then everyone else is incredibly privileged. No, we're going to move away from the competitive aspect of things to and also, and intersectionally wise, like all these people have a religious identity of some kind, not all, let me correct myself, most people in the world, and especially like most companies, a lot of companies that employ most of the world employees are multinational, like the world is very international, people are traveling all over the time. Um, they're working with partners, they're working with suppliers from other organizations, from other countries and so on around the world, not just I'm, you know, born and raised in the United States. I'm, my context is mostly in the United States, but even looking at companies that do work internationally, most people around the world identify with some sort of faith or religious practice of some kind. Mm -hmm. Um, I know in the United States and in the West, like 
new age spirituality or like a spiritual practice is also gaining ground. And that is also something to respect and allow people to identify with and bring into their workplace as we see a human being in their holistic self, right? Not check your identities at the door, which of course we all understand, hopefully, like we all understand, right? That that is code for ignore your non-white parts, <laughs> try and ascribe and assimilate to whiteness as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And then when you go home, like on your own time, you can actually be who you are. Pick it back up again. Yeah. Like, <laughs> no, 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 no. We're not having that anymore. Um, white folks have a place absolutely in the world and <laughs> this space. However, they're one of many identities and those of us who are not uh, white or Christian or from a privileged identity should be able, especially if you're engaged in DEI work. If you're not engaged in DEI work and you think DEI is stupid and all of that, that's like a completely separate conversation, <laughs> which right. we're not having today. And I personally like, oh, I have a hard time with those conversations. But yeah, the idea being that most people in the world have some sort of religious, spiritual faith identity. And being able to bring that into the workplace as they choose, because some people really don't want to, um, but some people really would like to, right? And as a source of getting to know other people and understanding authentic selves and breaking stereotypes. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, uh, Rahime, for uh, kicking us off. You said a couple of things that I really, I just can't let you just say it in passing without doing it. Give it to me. Because there are two things that I really want to bring out. First of all, you talked about bringing our true, authentic selves, Mm. uh, which we are coming to realize that there are so many different points of intersectionality. Right. So we want to make sure that we realize that that is such a critical religion. Like you Mm. said, religion is such a critical aspect Mm. in Mm. many people's Mm. lives that we have to be respectful for that. And you also mentioned the fact that there is this privilege that tends to be associated with the Christian faith. Now, Mm. I definitely Mm. want to clarify what we mean by privilege. And if Mm. you allow me the opportunity, I'm going to let you jump in and talk about that intersectionality piece. When it comes to privilege, please understand that we are not saying that your life was easier, right? We are not saying that, that your life was easier. What we subscribe to that we need to think about privilege is that everybody that accomplished something great in life, they had to go through something, right? Nobody that has accomplished anything had it easy. So we're not trying to associate privilege with being easy. What we are saying when we talk about privilege is that there are certain things that you didn't have to go through, which represent your privilege. And as we talk about this space of honoring different religions, as a Christian, there are certain things that I don't have to go through that Mm. someone from a different religion Mm. has to go through. So talk to me a little bit about that piece on intersectionality and Mm. how you view the privilege towards Christians as opposed to Mm. some of the challenges with uh, different uh, religions. So Yeah, absolutely. Privilege is a really sticky topic. And I understand why um, we are not taught to (laughs) engage on this topic 
again, people take it as a personal attack. Are you saying that my life is easy? I've my life has been so difficult. How could you possibly say that? Um, I know for myself, when I talk about DEI like related stuff, I don't call it necessarily DEI in Muslim spaces. Um, and the Muslims in my personal life tend to be uh, immigrants or children of immigrants. I do want to be very clear that not all Muslims in the United States are immigrants. So please, let's break that stereotype. However, I am saying that in my world, my personal world, I am one Muslim. <laughs> Most of the Muslims that I'm around are generally immigrants or children of immigrants. Okay, we can hold those things at the same time. Yes. Okay, cool. Absolutely. Cool. Absolutely. Um, is that especially when interacting with immigrants and trying to talk about privilege uh, and like anti-black racism <laughs> or stuff like that, they're like, are you kidding me? I am an immigrant in this country, especially if they're a Muslim immigrant, especially if they're brown, especially if they have an accent, especially if they have a Muslim-ish, Muslim, whatever that means, name, mm -hmm. um, like all these other things. Like they have so many areas of disadvantage that they have faced so much, like literally oppression in their lives sometimes they've been physically attacked all of these things and also yes we can have privilege using Absolutely. myself as an example you can see that i'm incredibly <laughs> lacking in melanin right <laughs> very pale i have uh hazel eyes and so even though it would be very easy for me to just get up on speaking engagements and be like i'm a muslim woman and i wear a headscarf and so people can look at me across the street and if they don't like muslims they can come and attack me and i'm a woman in a very sexist you know world mm -hmm. and what have you i'm also i have adhd which i learned this year okay so like okay i have areas of disadvantage however the fact that i am either white passing or racially white i'm honestly a little confused but multi-ethnic mm -hmm. that doesn't change the fact that i have a level of privilege i speak with Absolutely. an american accent a californian american accent i am a u.s citizen so i am currently living in the country of my birth and i hold citizenship i have a passport in this country and so on i don't have to worry about getting kicked out of the country i don't have to worry about like my employment and if i apply for jobs and i have to check the little box that i need sponsorship i don't need to do that like so many areas of privilege that i have and that doesn't mean again that none of the like areas of disadvantage that i have just like disappear but then also the areas of privilege that i do have i need to take account for those things because if all i do is focus on my areas of disadvantage is that i am actively ignoring folks who do share my areas of disadvantage and also have Further areas of disadvantage, for instance, I like to call in my Muslim sisters in faith who are black, especially if they wear a headscarf. Like they have a completely different experience. They have anti-black racism and sexism and like Islamophobia and, 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 right? Mm -hmm. So me being like, oh, we're the same. No, we're not the same, Absolutely. right? So anyway, having said that, right? Like, and I'm, you can see, I'm very comfortable talking about this because i see it as where i have privilege are areas where i can actively take steps utilize that privilege to make it easier and level the playing field for others who don't have that privilege and of course if they want to speak up passing the mic very readily making sure that sometimes you're just controlling the trolls in their 
you know, internet comment section or in person or whatever, supporting them, using that privilege because we know, like, unfortunately, human beings, the way our brains work is that we like and are more likely to listen to folks who we identify with. We see as like, oh, you're similar to me. I'm mm -hmm. more likely to listen to you. Great. So folks who identify looking like me, who wouldn't necessarily listen to a black Muslim sister in faith, I can use that privilege knowing that, okay, this is something that I can do. Right. Absolutely. And it is a responsibility that I have. So having Absolutely. said that with privilege, remind me of the question. No, it was just, you, you touched on it while you were saying how you have to truly understand privilege. Right. Yeah. And it's not saying that it was easy for you. It's just realizing that there are certain things that I don't have to go through, but I use the privilege mm. that I have yeah. to uplift that group that I am in association with or fellowship with or however you want to frame. Mm. So you, you yeah. definitely uh, continue to bring out that point on privilege. But I did want you to touch on intersectionality mm. Mm, mm, mm. because you've you've gone through the gamut of some of the pieces yeah. where you intersect, where you talked about, yeah, I have privilege because of this, but mm. because I'm this as well, yeah. that's a little bit more yeah. of an obstacle for me. So talk about how that intersectionality piece plays in on top of mm. being a Muslim or, or, or following Islam or yeah. uh, how would you address that? Yeah. So the idea with intersectionality is that all of us are made up of a collection of identities that you can't piece out in this moment I'm Muslim, in this moment I'm a woman, in this moment I'm American, in this moment Absolutely. I'm 80 and ADHD or like, and all yeah. of these moments are separate yeah. moments. Like that again, I'm just using myself as an example. Like that's not that's not a thing. I'm all of those things all at the same time. <laughs> right. And sometimes given the situation, I might feel certain identities more. Yes. If I am abroad, again, I'm in the United States, born and raised. <laughs> Um, and you know, if I am abroad outside of the United States, I feel my Americanness mm. a lot, yeah. <laughs> a lot more. Um, if I am in a Muslim space, depending on what kind of Muslim space. So for instance, another part of my identity that I don't really talk a lot about, and I'm kind of playing with how much do I want to talk about it or not, given mm. that anyway, so I am, I'm a Shia Muslim. And that is a minority within Muslims in general. So it's like uh -huh. a minority within a minority. And there's a lot of stereotypes and discrimination and like violence against Shia Muslims, even within Muslims. Yeah. So um, if I am in a Muslim space, but it is majority Sunni or not Shia, then I am very aware of my Shia-ness. Mm. Right. And like everyone that I interact with, like if I tell them, are they going to hate me? Like, are they going to kick me out? Like what's going to happen here? Right. right. Like they seem to like me. And I am sharing this with the non-Muslims knowing and expecting that you are not going to weaponize what I'm telling you and sharing with you very vulnerably about something inside going on in my community mm -hmm. to then attack us. Right. OK, we're Absolutely. not doing that. Yeah. So. No, because that's a really real thing. Like, oh, yeah, I like would love to be able to give a more nuanced approach to like talking about Muslims um, around the world. Like are Muslims perfect people? Of course not. 
of course not. We have our problems. Right. We have our, you know, issues. Everyone. Like we need to go to therapy. Yeah. <laughs> All of the things. But I, you know, like me and other Muslims who speak about being Muslim have a really hard time, like giving a more nuanced, like perception of the holistic view of like the things that are not great that Muslims do, some Muslims do, and the good things, right? Yeah. Because it's like, are you going to then take my words and like attack my own community? Exactly. Because I've admitted like that, of course, we're not perfect human exactly. beings. So anyway, we're not attacking my own community with my words. Thank you very much. So anyway, um, if I am in a Shia Muslim environment, then probably like my ethnicity in like racial identity is very prominent to me. Right. So like depending on where you are, any given person, like you might feel different parts of your identity a little mm -hmm. bit more or less at a time. Um, you know, if I'm standing in a room, you know, full of dudes, <laughs> like, right. and I'm the only woman there. Yes. Um, then like, especially like as someone who wears um, a headscarf called, you know, a hijab, like mm -hmm. it, I can feel that a lot. Yes. You know, mm -hmm. am I getting mansplained? Am I, you know, having to prove that I'm not like an oppressed Muslim woman. Yeah. Right. I know in grad school, if anyone who went to grad school with me is watching this or ever watches this, I am so incredibly sorry. I'm so sorry. I was so talkative. Like, you think I'm talkative now? You think I'm like obnoxiously vocal now? I would not shut up. <laughs> and I realized like it took me a long time of like reflection and going to these kinds of like sessions where I'm learning about identities and like internalized depression and stuff like that. I realized that I had internalized this uh, uh, stereotype about Muslim women as being oppressed and quiet and meek and, you know, obedient and all that. Mm -hmm. And I took it upon myself without even knowing right. that I needed to break that stereotype to all the non-Muslims I went to school with. So I was like, super talkative and super vocal and every right. single time the teacher had something to say like i had to be the very first person yes. to say like just like ramping that up mm -hmm. and it took me literally years and even now still yeah. but like years of being like you don't actually have to say something if you don't yeah. have anything to say or yeah. like giving other people a chance to talk and all of those things so in that way i will give you a chance to talk now no but rahima what you're what you're addressing is something that's referred to as stereotype threat right mm -hmm. because you are so concerned mm -hmm. with living up to the stereotype that you're going to overcompensate yeah. Yeah. to disprove it so you you touch upon some concepts yeah. that are near and dear to my heart but mm -hmm. I'm not going to let you go because there is, there are some things that you were saying in that conversation that I have to dig mm. into a lot more. Please. Specifically, you start talking about some misconceptions. Yes. So I want to give you the space right now to debunk some things about Islam or what it means to mm. be Muslim. So mm. take this space and do what you will. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so I personally, not all Muslims will do this. I am one of estimated 1. billion Muslims in the world. 1.8 billion Muslims in the world. 24% estimated people in the world are Muslim. 24%. This is a huge percentage of people. Yes. Okay. I am one person. Yes, I'm in community with many Muslims. I actively read and consume 
content around the lives of other Muslims so that I can have a more rounded approach. But do I know everything about Muslims? Of course not. Right. And I would never say that. Mm -hmm. And I don't want people coming like, you know, kind of like if you were to take an anti-racism training, yep. you know, like like a one hour yep. anti-racism training, you know like I'm done. I'm not racist. Like I have no biases anymore. It's, it's over. <laughs> like, no. No, so okay, so watch unless this. of course an offering from LCW, oh, then that could naturally be the case. It could naturally, case. naturally. Um, so right, like listening to one Muslim, whether it's me, whether it's someone else, like that's never going to be. Oh, I know everything that there's to know that I need to know as a non-Muslim in like an interfaith dialogue exchange sort of way. All I need to know about Muslims is like this one person. Right. Like that one person, even as much as I and others like try and educate ourselves and speak in general for other like our group and try and be representative as much as possible. Like we're still going to leave out a lot of things. Know. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so and that's also like a really great like flag for you to watch out for when you listen to speakers. Like, are they giving the impression that all that you need to do is like listen to them about their group and then like you're done? Like, OK, yeah. that's going to be problematic. So having said that, um, the idea with stereotypes about, so I distinguish between Muslims and Islam, Islam being obviously the religion of that Muslims follow, right? So Christianity, Islam, Judaism, Hinduism, Buddhism, Sikhism, what have you, like those are the names of the religions themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and I know some folks get um, <laughs> the name of the religion and like the people who follow Islam mixed up because in English, it sounds like a completely different word. It starts with a different letter. However, in Arabic, which the Arabic language is integral to the heart of the religion of Islam, um, though it's not required, it's encouraged but not required to learn Arabic if you are not Arab yourself. And of course, also keeping in mind as far as stereotypes that not all Muslims are Arab and not all Arabs are Muslim. Mm -hmm. There are Arabs of all different identities religiously, right? So please don't meet Arab people. I And for transparency, I am not Arab. Please don't meet an Arab on like in your life and be like, oh, you're Muslim. No, we're not making that assumption. But then also, if you meet a Muslim, oh, you're Arab or you must speak Arab. Like, no, that's not necessarily the case. Okay, so there's that. Um, that Muslims are incredibly, incredibly diverse and Muslims, the people who follow the religion, and I'm sure anyone who follows any sort of spiritual faith, religious teachings knows like <laughs> there's like the, you know, lessons, be a good person, don't steal, Mm -hmm. don't kill people <laughs> like right. right like honor people's rights generosity kindness charity like a lot of these things are very the universal right. and mm -hmm. yeah like yeah right um there's like the rulings and stuff and then there are the people who do things for many different reasons yeah right we have bad days and we are not our best versions of ourselves there are also again 1.8 billion muslims so there, as I've already mentioned, different sects of the religion, which like have slightly different, mostly it's the same teachings, but slightly different, right? Like, for instance, if you watch me praying, which like, that's kind of weird, like, please don't like watch me pray. But like, if you were to see a Shia person pray, and then you were to see a Sunni person pray, like it would look slightly different. But right, so like, there's various in like religious identities specifically, but then mm -hmm. there's like, they're 
ethnicity and where their nationality, their generation, their socioeconomic status, their educational attainment level, their gender, they're on and like, and then even if they ascribe to a certain part of the religion, then there's also folks who don't live and don't follow the religion in the way that they have chosen to. I'm not saying that right. What I'm trying to say is that they might believe in a certain thing and they might not follow all of the pre precepts, right? Mm -hmm. Like all the followings and guidance. Absolutely. Right. Um, I know for myself, like when I'm out in the street going grocery shopping, getting a prescription, what have you, right? Like I try and be like a good, nice, decent human being just as one does. But sometimes I have a bad day. Sometimes mm -hmm. I'm like really tired, right? Mm -hmm. And I really, really worry about like, if I'm not like actively smiling, actively like a cheerful, happy on person, Absolutely. that this is the only time someone's gonna see a Muslim, like identify that person as a Muslim, right? Because of course, a lot of Muslims you don't like know, right? right? Whether they're, you know, a woman who doesn't choose to wear hijab, um, which is within her rights, not a judgment on that, just a fact like if a woman is not wearing hijab, there's no like, way of identifying and then a muslim man right a lot of folks like muslims are very much racialized as brown people um however even keeping in mind that there's a huge percentage of muslims who are black or african mm -hmm. african-american right of african descent right mm -hmm. even just speaking in the united states an estimated 30 percent 30 percent of american muslims are black wow that's a huge percentage right yes, and yet all muslims and honestly, like, again, keeping in mind, like, for any Muslims watching this, no Muslims, please don't weaponize this against my community. Like, a lot of brown, white, non-black Muslims, like, forget, don't acknowledge, don't, like, it doesn't occur to them <laughs> that there are black Muslims, right. which is also incredibly problematic. So Muslims are generalized as, like, brown. And that's the thing with Islamophobia Islamophobia is like hatred and discrimination and like active like violence against uh, Muslims and also people who are perceived to be Muslim, right? Mm. So many years ago, there was an Arab man who's Christian in some Midwest uh, state in the United mm -hmm. States mm -hmm. who was killed by his neighbor. Wow. And it was ruled Islamophobia, an, an act of Islamophobia. Because the neighbor thought that this Arab man was Muslim, even wow. though he wasn't. The wow. first person to be killed in retaliation for 9-11 was a sick man. Mm. Not even Muslim. Sick. Right. right? And mm. that is considered an act of Islamophobia because the person attacking him and murdering him... <sighs> Sorry, it's difficult to talk about this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, they thought he was Muslim. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So as we all know, people who have isms and hatred towards other people, Absolutely. and I need to just defend my own in-group and anyone outside of that in-group who doesn't look like me, speak like me, live like me is like literally evil and I must kill them, attack them wipe them off the face of the earth like they don't really care they're not thinking about like hey can you fill out this survey explaining right. your identities before i attack you exactly exactly yep it's because you don't look like me you don't sound like me and 
I just don't even want to take the time to understand the difference. So I'm just going to use my lack of knowledge or my ignorance and just attack you from what I perceive. Yeah. So I, you, you speak a lot of scenarios that as a uh, black or African-American mm. in this mm. country that mm. it just resonates, right? Yeah. It, it doesn't matter um, in regards to the specificity of mm. my uniqueness mm. within this black body. Mm. I'm just seen as this, period, right? Mm. So mm. I definitely can uh, sympathize with that. Um, so I, I do want to move to a couple of questions Mm-mm-mm. because I want folks to get something to use in their workplace. So I'm going to yes. ask you to give me some advice because I one love of the giving advice. Yeah. What? what? Because one of the questions, tell you what to do. Absolutely. You feel free because one of the questions that we tend to get specifically when you're doing DE and I work, well, mm-hmm. why do we need to bring religion into the workplace? What does it have to do with us meeting goals? So what advice do you have for listeners that want to take that first step towards accommodating all faiths and non-faiths Mm-mm. or their co-workers? Yeah. I would go back to what I was saying earlier about the diversity of human experience. So, of course, like for me, talking about the diversity of Muslims, right, and that I am one Muslim, even though I do try and actively educate myself on the experience of other Muslims that are not exactly the same as myself. However, this is going to apply to all identity groups, right? Mm. Larry, please, you know, express like as a black person, like you might see opinions or like, hey, this is how I, not me, I'm not black. <laughs> like right. another black person says, I want to be included or given equitable access in this way. And you might be like, well, that's not what I want, right? Does that make that person wrong or does that make you wrong? No. <laughs> like you're different yeah. people and you can want different things, exactly. right? So if an organization, really is committed to diversity, equity, and inclusion, you have to understand that no group, no identity group, Muslims very much included as a monolith. Like there's great diversity and I can stand up and give you a list of how to be equitable and inclusive of me, Rahime, but that's not going to apply to everyone, right? So I'm going to give generalizations, but I tell you, these are generalizations. These are a good starting point Yes. So that if you don't know anything about Muslims, if you approach a Muslim in your employee group, if you approach a Muslim who's a client or a customer, they can see that you've already done the work to do some learning on your own. Right. As we know, it's like incredibly problematic to go to like that one person of a certain identity, tokenize them, go to them. It's not their job to educate you on their identity. Like they're just doing whatever it is that they were hired to do. And you go to them and say, hey, teach us about your identity like excuse me right so when you do go to that person it's to be able to custom and tailor the accommodations and the equitable practices to their specific needs and wants right and you're showing respect in that way that you've already done some learning on your own like really there's no excuse like especially in 2022 with so much information available online like there really is no excuse. So, okay, so I'm going to give you some generalizations telling you that these are generalizations. You have to get to know the people in your environment to be mm-hmm. inclusive of them. If you have a Muslim who lives next to you in your neighborhood, even not in the workplace, right? 
you have to get to know them as human beings. Right. It is work. That is a part of this. Okay, cool. So one of the things, holidays is something that people like to talk about a lot. Um, and it has its place. I just feel like we talk a lot about it. Um, but before moving on from holidays, like, of course, there's Ramadan, um, which is a month-long um, practice of fasting from sunrise to sunset. Mm -hmm. It is one of the most spiritual times of the year for Muslims. Um, and with fasting, like throughout the sunlight hours, you can imagine like people's energy levels and potential irritability or being hangry or, you know, their what have you, right, yeah. is going to change, right? Yeah. So for instance, another like great example is like this past Ramadan early on in the year in the spring. Um, I saw a lot of articles coming out about like, hey, to be inclusive of Muslims, you should move your meetings to earlier on in the day because like, so Muslims will eat a morning meal before the sun rises uh, to give themselves a little bit of energy and like hydration for sure uh, mm -hmm. before they start fasting. And so the idea being if you have meetings early on in the day, they still have like some of that energy in their system before right. the end of the day. Okay, that totally makes sense. I'm sure there are many Muslims who would love that sort of practice, right? However, if you say, hey, I saw this article, so we're just going to do that and not ask the actual Muslims in your environment, I like propose like, hey, here's another perspective. I personally am 120% a night owl. I don't care if I'm fasting. I don't care if I'm not fasting. Please, for the love of God, do not put meetings first thing in the morning with me. Like, I will like, <laughs> you hate me? Are you bullying me? Like, what is happening right now? Right? So you have to get to know the actual people. Like, hey, I learned that this is something that we could do. Is that yeah. something that would be helpful for you? And like, have a conversation. Have Like, be respectful of them. Have rapport built. Like, don't just come to the person the first time you want to talk to them and be like asking very probing questions about their identities. Yeah. Right? Um, so there's Ramadan and fasting and, you know, giving time off for religious holidays at the end of Ramadan. Um, there is a holiday called Eid al-Fitr, which unfortunately, fortunately, whatever, what have you, it is, uh, the Muslim calendar is on a lunar calendar, which what that means is that we won't know the start of Ramadan or the end of Ramadan until the moon, the new moon is sighted or excuse me, the full moon is the new moon decided. Oh my gosh. <laughs> the first like little bit of crescent. Okay. Right. Yes. Um, so there's all different debates on like what counts. And that's like a kind of an insider Muslim joke. <laughs> but the idea being like, you won't know until the night before whether the start of Ramadan is like this day or this day or this day. Right. It's usually oh, like wow. two, one or two days, potentially three days. Right. Okay. And so if I'm asking, for instance, for Eid the Fitr off, which is at the end of Ramadan, I'm not going to know the actual day until like literally the night before. So I know for a workplace that that might be like, hmm, that's kind of inconvenient. But like, if you want to be inclusive of people, you have to like bend. You, ha you can't be like this strict, like, no, we're going to force you into this box. Like, that's the whole point. Mm. Um, alternatively, there's also Hajj, uh, which is the Muslim pilgrimage that all muslims are required to complete once in their lifetime to the city of mecca which is in mm -hmm. present day saudi arabia um just a little bit of like religious sprinkling sprinkling in there it is only required if you are financially able to do so physically able to do so um but if you are able to do it it is required uh, but like 
we don't believe you're like gonna go to hell if you don't do that right like so don't right. please don't go like oh my exactly. god like oh so right. like okay yeah, right. okay calm down right <laughs> the same thing with fasting like if you're physically not able to like it's gonna affect your health pregnant women don't necessarily usually fast i do know a couple muslim women who have been pregnant who fasted given like their doctor's approval and stuff like that but like if you're sick like there's accommodations even like within the religion so that's mm -hmm. another subject something to keep in mind as well for um that i've been seeing in recent years is like the islamic new year so muslims have their own calendar and um there's kind of like this trend going where non-muslims will start like wishing muslims happy new year and i can appreciate the sentiment and there are many muslims uh who appreciate that however for shia muslims which i am again um it at the start of the new year actually is the start of a two-month mourning period wow. um so having like happy new year like it's a holiday like it's a happy thing like right you know like you don't anyway the point is just don't assume right like yeah. check in with the person get to know them mm -hmm. um keeping in mind again that there are many muslims who would be happy to receive happy new year and there are some that don't and those two things exist at the same time and i'm sure there are many other opinions as well i don't want to make it a binary um right. i would also say something to keep in mind with workplaces if you bring people in person or hybrid um is that there are some workplaces that are dog friendly um and that is an amazing thing i love dogs i grew up with two german shepherds like there are muslims who don't like dogs just like other people there are muslims who are scared of dogs there are muslims who love dogs there are muslims who have dogs there are muslims right. who don't literally don't care yeah <laughs> many opinions mm -hmm. um but the idea being is that from like a religious standpoint of like religious inclusion is that Muslims um, who do do their daily prayers, there's five prayers a day for Muslims. And if a Muslim does do their five daily prayers, one or two of those will usually fall into work the out. normal work day. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, and Muslims doing their prayers have to be clean, right? Cleanliness is a really big part of the religion of Islam um and hopefully muslims try <laughs> a reminder to myself <laughs> to try and like keep our spaces clean mm -hmm. you know be you know smelling good and fresh and, and stuff like that and so part of that is like if you have a dog friendly environment like aside from people who have allergies aside from people who have like been like not necessarily even muslim people who have allergies people who um have been attacked or have bad experiences with dogs who might be scared but also from a religious standpoint dog hair and saliva is considered uh, ritually impure wow. and if we are to get dog fur or saliva or like obviously like urine or poop or anything like that on us we cannot do our prayers in those clothing mm. right um so for instance one of my previous jobs um one of our execs would bring her dogs uh to the office right and that's the thing like i appreciate her being able to do that but on the other hand like i had to explain like hey i have to like i would do my prayers in like a little private area mm -hmm. um and i had to ask her like hey could we make sure that the dogs don't come in this area right. and able to explain and she was like totally cool with it and she's like oh yes thank you for telling me and awesome right so just to keep in mind if you have a dog friendly environment to yeah. keep that in mind alcohol is a really big thing so um it is generally accepted amongst most muslims that alcohol is something that is not allowed to consume there are muslims who do consume alcohol there are muslims who go to bars there are muslims who 
like I had a executive director of a past um, job tell me that he knew a Muslim family who owned a winery, right? So there are like, there are many different Muslims. Again, this is not about judgment right. and like a religious debate on who is correct. The point being is that most Muslims around the world would agree that alcohol is just like a no, no. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if you continuously as a, like a non-Muslim workplace continuously include happy hour as a thing, that's where you rub shoulders with the boss. That's where you, um, are Network. networking with, yep. yeah, with senior Sponsors. leaders. This is where yep. like promotions are being like informally laid the groundwork for, mm -hmm. right? Even if you're hosting like a, conf a professional conference, if you're, you know, hosting an event, if you are like in grad school, right? Especially as I understand like MBA programs, um, study abroad programs where a lot of students want to go clubbing and drinking in this new country. And again, the point being is not, a judgment on like I'm better or you're better or like right the point being is that if you actually want to be inclusive if you don't want to be inclusive then this doesn't apply to you right like you right. just decided you don't want to include people okay that's a different conversation but if you want to be inclusive of people you have to keep in mind that a lot of people either like so speaking from a Muslim perspective I know there are many people with different reasons for why they don't drink or don't want to be around alcohol right mm -hmm. so that is also like being inclusive of other folks who have other reasons, but speaking about Absolutely. Muslims specifically, right? There are Muslims who will go to networking events with alcohol and feel incredibly uncomfortable. They yeah. feel like they're selling out. They feel like, like they're compromising on their values. Mm -hmm. um, there are Muslims who will opt out, who will just literally just not come. Right. Yeah. Um, and you like, they're losing out in some way, but you yourself are losing out as an organization from their contributions, their skills, their expertise, and who they are, right? Like the whole point is that if you've hired these people, you find that they are very skilled and knowledgeable and you want to like make the most of their expertise, yes? Yeah. So being that so you want I, to include them. Yeah, I love how, Rahime, you, you are making that connection that this isn't just an interpersonal issue. This is a business issue, right? Yeah. So the arguments for not bringing religion into the workplace, you've just given some valuable insights in regards to well no this is why you need to consider mm -hmm. this in the workplace because you may be creating situations unknowingly that are putting certain individuals at a disadvantage and mm -hmm. you know that even mm -hmm. relates to individuals that may have a disability around alcohol right so if you are consistently creating yeah. these environments where alcohol has to be assumed uh, yeah. consumed and I'm a former alcoholic, I, I'm not going to feel comfortable there. Right. Yeah. And, and I'm not going to be seen as, yeah. you know, promotable or, or yeah. someone that I have a this culture fit. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. culture fit. Yeah. Well, you just given my, my top pet <gasps> word yeah. of the entire world. So I, I do want to give uh, an opportunity for us to mm. share some information that you wanted to share. I believe you wanted mm -hmm. us to show a video. Yes. That yeah. I don't want you to just, again, like I am not the only Muslim. Honestly, I've been seeing this really kind of problematic trend. No one watching this is like this. I know that. Right. But I've been noticing this like weird trend on my posts on social media where like I post and like educate about Muslims and DEI and stuff like that mm -hmm. of like non-Muslims coming and like checking me about 
Muslim wow. issues. Like, you really? don't go here. Like, why? Why are you critiquing me about yeah. my groove? So anyway, like, so I appreciate. And again, I am. Oh, I, I get it. I I, yeah. I get comments of you're not really black. It's like, yeah, I think. I, I Excuse think I, me. I, I, I've got that made. I think I've got that uh, made. But um, thanks for sharing. Yeah. So, so I want to. I want to promote like looking and seeing other Muslims like talk on the same points and like. So do you want to introduce this one, Rahime? Like you want to set the scene, or is it pretty self-explanatory with the video? Yeah, like you're gonna see there will be an intro. Um, we're not gonna be able to watch the full thing just for time. So I really, um, in the email following up this event, there's going to be a bunch of resources, including this video. So I encourage watching it. Honestly, like again, you know, especially if this is the first time you're seeing this information and finishing the whole video. But just the idea of seeing stereotypes mm -hmm. in movies and film and media about Muslims. This video is like a little bit dated. Um, so some of the shows and like movies are like on the older side, but I think it does a really, really good job of like putting forward these stereotypes and the idea of course being like, especially in the United States, an estimated, per, um, it is estimated that only 1% of the United States is Muslim, right? Estimated like 1%, about 3 million or so people. So right. the likelihood of most people in the United States and the West um, if you've learned anything at all about Muslims, it's through the media, right? right? And so seeing the tropes that the media promotes and like why people have these stereotypes and, you know, isms about Muslims, like you can very clearly see that. So yeah, let's go and see that. Awesome. Thank you. There's truly no feeling of joy and recognition like when you see someone on the big screen wearing a hijab or praying. But when was the last time you actually related to a Muslim character? Here's how to not do representation. Trope number one, hijabis taking off their hijab for a boy. This movie trope is the most basic, most popular, and most problematic. Hijabis find bizarre ways to take off their hijab in countless dramas, from Quantico to Hala to Grey's Anatomy to Netflix's Elite. This idea suggests that the hijab is oppressive in all forms, and Muslim women are in need of saving from their lifestyle of modesty. Usually, the savior is a white man. Muslim women like me choose to wear the hijab. Many women wear it for different reasons, but ultimately we do it to show our faith. This is not something we need to be freed from. It frees us. Trope number two. All Muslim countries are in desperate need of white saviors. Muslim countries are not yellow stained and filled with terrorists at every corner. Why does Hollywood continue to portray Muslim-majority countries as war-torn and militia-based? Every country has stories and cultures of their own, as beautiful as the people who live there. When was the last time you saw a movie about a Muslim-majority country that was authentically portrayed? No one? Not you? How about you? Yeah, no, me neither. This movie trope is very discreet and you may not have even noticed it before. American films tend to add a yellow filter over their shots when they depict countries stereotyped as impoverished, polluted, or war-zoned. Like in Iron Man 3, when Iron Man heroically frees Naqabi women in a Middle Eastern sweatshop, it's pretty obvious there wasn't a Naqabi in the writer's room. Trope number three, Muslims are all Arab and barbaric. This movie trope stereotypically depicts Muslims as Arab, barbaric, backwards, and in need of transformation. These tropes all originate from Orientalism. 
Orientalism is how Western societies look at Asian and especially Arab societies as unmodern. A primary framework used to justify colonization, Orientalism's ramifications are found in every corner of our world. Disney's Aladdin, for example, the Arabian Nights opening song literally sings, it's barbaric, but hey, it's home. Along with exotifying and stereotyping nearly every woman in the film, and yes, the entire plot does surround Jasmine's inability to choose who she wants to marry, something Islamic law explicitly forbids and a misconception that Muslim women constantly have to fight. The merging of cultures and multiple identities into one pot ends up generalizing Muslims and brown communities. In post 9-11 era, America found it easy to fall into Islamophobic beliefs because of the way Orientalism was already rooted into Western consciousness. Okay, so thank you so much for sharing that, Rahime. I think that that contained a lot of interesting information uh, to help us understand some of the narratives that mm. have been portrayed uh, about this community. Community. So what I do want to do in our time that we have, mm. um, I, I, I wanted to make sure that we didn't have any questions that we missed uh, because we, we primarily talked about why it's important to mm -hmm. uh, have it have these conversations in the workplace or uh, let's see, what is a straightforward answer to this question? Why bring religion into the workplace? What does religion have to do with meeting our work goals? So I think we touched up on it or did you have, anything? I mean, just to answer like in the straightforward answer, if you in your organization is engaged in DEI work, you are committed to DEI work, then part of that is allowing folks of different identities to express themselves and deconstruct the white supremacy norms mm -hmm. that are have a chokehold on our societies and our workplaces as a part of those societies, yeah. right? So if you want to include people, if you want to give them equitable access, if you want diverse communities and populations in your employee base, your client base, your customers, you have to include like different identities. Yeah. And if you're talking about gender, if you're talking about sexual orientation, if you're talking about race, you have to include religion. Like religion is a huge part of people's identities and most people around the world identify with some religion. Yeah, that's great. Thank you so much, Rahime. Uh, do we have any other questions? I'm not seeing any in the chat. Oh, okay. Uh, what can change the impression that anyone outside of a certain religion or political persuasion is the enemy of the state? That's a great question. Not only in America, but across uh, the world. In America, how can we herald freedom of religion as we face such challenges? I'm going to let you jump in on that Not, one. Right, what can what can change the impression that anyone outside of a certain religion, political persuasion, is any uh, enemy of the state? So the enemy of the state is essentially like the bad guy. Right. Sure. This is the person so, that we need to protect ourselves against. So are we saying like combating Islamophobia? It, probably that's a good way okay. to look at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So in the United that? States, like freedom of religion, as we've, okay. So Pamela, my apologies. I'm going to interpret as I understand this. I really wish I could like ask you 
for clarification. Uh, so the idea being like freedom of religion is a part of like the law of the land in the Constitution of the United States. Uh, Congress shall pass no law that prohibits or um, I forget the technical, the actual word, the quote, um, but like they can't push religion on other people and they can't prevent people from freedom of expression, expressing their religion. Right. Okay, so if we in the United States accept like that is the literal law of our land, um, we know that also separation of church and state is supposedly a thing. However, <laughs> we can acknowledge hopefully that really uh, separation of church and state only has to do with non-Christian religions. Uh, however, in you know Christian concerns about laws, um, as we have seen with the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Um, and other similar laws around like banning mosques uh, versus churches, you know, like the way we deem our holidays, we deem structure our work week and so on. Um, these are all incredibly Christian centric, you know, law um, makers uh, taking their vows and oaths on a Bible. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, when there were the first number of Muslim senators and Congress folks being sworn in, like it was just such a hullabaloo <laughs> about swearing on a Quran. And they're like, no, it has to be. Well, I was like, okay, but this person isn't Christian, right? Like, right. why is this a conversation? Why is this like a controversy, right? Mm -hmm. um, so the idea of like, you, we have to recognize white Christian supremacy when we see it, what are the hallmarks of it? And just like we are constantly on the lookout for racism, anti-black racism, um, you know, the isms of the world, we have to be able to learn to recognize and see that lens of, oh, this is favoring one group, this is the norm of another group. And how do we equitably have all groups be able to express themselves in balance? And again, keeping in mind that yes, sometimes there will be differences of opinion. And how yes. do we move along with agreeing to disagree? Awesome. Thank you so much, Rahime. Um, I, I, I think we have maybe time for one more response i think that someone wanted to know what this concept of stereotype threat um it's basically uh mm. if you are primarily a member of an underrepresented group it's this anxiety that you feel about confirming uh negative stereotypes mm. that can cause people to have self-doubt right and it often hinders their ability to perform confidently mm. and at their maximum level. So mm. uh, to, to respond to that is, you know, if I am concerned that people think that I have my job simply because I'm black and I don't have the skills uh, necessary or I'm a diversity hire, I'm going to do everything in my power not to make a mistake, mm. to be mm. more than competent, to be mm. more than capable, to be on in every situation. And that can cause anxiety. It can also cause me <laughs> to be sick mm. because that's exhausting trying mm. to um, outlive any stereotype mm. that people have towards me. And I hope that that answered your question, Enrico, because this is a concept that we do teach. Yeah. Uh, and just just to add, like thinking about, again, going to privilege, uh -huh. the idea that if you don't have to spend this kind of energy exactly. and constant vigilance of what do people think of me? Yes. Are they going to judge me? Are they going to judge my group? 
Yes. Are they going to enjoy it? Like, how are my children being treated? How are like all these things, like all of this mental work and labor that an emotional tact yes. that groups have to take on. If you don't have that, that is your privilege. That's what privilege looks like. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So Enrico, hopefully that helps in how we deal with stereotype threat, because again, it is exhausting trying to ensure that we don't live up mm. to those stereotypes mm. that they have about um, our group. So Rahime, I am so thoroughly pleased with our time today, but understand that it just doesn't stop here. And we truly hope that you take the advice that was shared here and some of the questions that we responded to back into your workplaces. And if you really want to partner, uh, in having these conversations, let us know. You can contact LCW at languageandculture.com. I'm going to give Rahime an opportunity to plug how we reach her uh, in a moment. But uh, thank you so much for being a part of these Braves conversations. And Rahime, if you want to let the people know how they can reach out and be in contact with you and, and promote whatever you want to promote, have, have at it. Thank you. Anyone who wants to find my home online, it's my website, RahimeRamazani.com. Yes, unfortunately, I'm sorry, you will have to learn how to uh, spell my name. Uh, <laughs> however, on top of that, I am active on social media, especially LinkedIn uh, and TikTok. And I really encourage you to follow along there. I put out free open source educational content about diversity, equity, inclusion, and intercultural topics specifically, and especially around Muslim inclusion and incorporating religion into diversity, equity, and inclusion topics. I try and be responsive to comments and answer questions and stuff like that as a free way to like just spread the knowledge. And, you know, a lot of folks just don't have the opportunity, the privilege to be part of an organization that has brought in a DEI speaker. Uh, if you want to bring me into your organization, of course, please do check out my services on my website. Amazing. Rahime, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your time and your passion on this topic. I have truly enjoyed myself and I hope that everyone receives something out of this. So thank you so much. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Uh, again, thank you, Rahime. Thank you, Larry. And to all of you that are listening, we want to know, what were your biggest takeaways from this conversation? Please share them with us on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn at Language and Culture Worldwide or LCW.